Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Treating low back pain is always a current topic in the world of physical therapy, but our pediatric patients don't always get the same focus. So joining us today to catch us up on all things pediatric low back pain is Dr. Chie Yamato. Dr. Chie Yamato is an associate researcher at the Center for Pain, Health, and Lifestyle. Dr. Yamato worked as a physiotherapist in Brazil between the years of 2010 and 2013 before moving to Australia to complete her PhD at the University of Sydney, which she completed in 2017. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist and owner of Chapman PT in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Chie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on JOSPT Insights. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be here. So we are talking about your article, What Works When Treating Children and Adolescents with Low Back Pain. And I was just like super excited about this one because, I mean... In, in sports, I treat a lot of like pediatric patients and a lot of them have low back pain from their sport. And so I was just like, oh man, yeah, should I be treating them differently? Can we first just define the population when you talk about children and adolescents? We are talking about children and adolescents in this commentary, and we have considered actually many references and the wide age range varies from five to 24 years old. So the global burden of disease data, for example, they usually to split the population considering children from five to 14 years old and adolescents from 10 to to 24. So this range varies a lot in the literature. But for example, for the WHO, a child person has 19 years old or younger and between 10 to 19, they consider as an adolescent. So more specifically for this clinical commentary, uh, we are talking about children and adolescents with low back pain. So if we say a little bit about the epidemiology, so 25 to 33% of children report persistent pain, including low back pain, and up to 10% may have some degree of disabilities. And so nonspecific low back pain is a common term that we hear a lot regarding adults with low back pain. Is that common? Is that another term that we see a lot in the pediatric population or, or is this different? <laughs> That's a good question, actually. And and, and we can start to talk a little bit about the difference between adults and, and children to answer this question, because despite the link between low back pain in childhood and adulthood, the, the first big difference, I may say, is probably the origin of the pain. So in adulthood, low back pain is usually classified as non-specifically. So usually there is no attributes to recognize specific pathology in this, in this population. However, in children and adolescents, Anatomical causes for low back pain may be more common, but still not the majority, but you can see this more common. So that's one of the differences between pediatric and then adult low back pain. Are there any other different biopsychosocial contributions? Children and adolescents have different biopsychosocial factors than adults. For example, children are in a period of maturation of the musculoskeletal system and also hormonal Change. So on top of that, they are in a period of growth and development in, in cognitive and emotional relationships and, and self-regulation. So the whole psychosocial model is different in this population and the approach should be different. So this is, this is the other big difference between pain in children, adolescents and adults. So what interventions work? 
about physical interventions, for example, they are effective in children and adolescents as it seems to reduce pain and disability. But size of the effect of disease intervention is still uncertain. So it's also uncertain if these effects are sustained, for example, in a long-term period. So combined physical intervention and educational intervention could be effective in reducing pain intensity compared to home exercise, for example, or no treatment. However, this is based on a very few studies and most systematic reviews or most studies on the topic found very low to low certainty of that thing. So we, we cannot be that confident on this information, but yeah, that's what we have by now. And let's say, so when you say, ah, okay, we can do physical intervention, but but which one, <laughs> you know? general exercise, aerobic, yoga, stretching, hydrotherapy. So the choice of, of the exercise should take into consideration on, on the patient considerations context and also on the preference and the expertise of the therapist. And, and probably one important thing is to consider varying the settings uh, to increase exercise skills, but also make playful and interactive interventions as a priority as a key of the treatment is adherence and is likely to be low if patients find the intervention boring. And so it sounds like it's important to find something that the patient finds value in, something where their preferences lie. Also, something that the clinician is very good at, a way in which that they're good in treating, but then also finding a way to make it fun and kind of have to find the intervention where all of those three intersect. Exactly that. So a combination of that, what the patient really wants really like to do and then what the the therapist the therapist is expertise on so this is the best combination i guess so you know what that's actually kind of empowering right so we know it a lot of things work you can do what you're good at and that's okay right that's actually yeah, pretty sweet yeah yeah this is this is this is the best thing i think when we talk about chronic pain so we know that exercise works and you can choose what do you want what do you prefer I wanted to hit on some of the psychological interventions for interventions that can work for these pediatric low back pain patients. Psychological interventions that aim to support healthy thoughts, beliefs, or behavioral responses can have some benefits. How is the evidence for that? And how can we incorporate that into our sessions with them? So there is still moderate to very low certainty of evidence of those findings. So it, it, it seems that psychological interventions work, but it needs to be com- complementary to physical interventions, for example. And understanding the mechanism seems to increase symptoms of the condition. You know, if, if, you, if you give information for the patient and they can understand like the pain mechanism, it seems to be the best, the best approach. So psychological therapists should focus on self-managing pain and disability. They are commonly delivered as a uh, as a component of multidisciplinary treatment programs. So, you know, physical interventions and psychological interventions together. And the one that is most probably cited in the, the literature is the cognitive therapies and behavior therapies. So, a combination of this is the cognitive behavior therapy that we that is very well known in the literature, which is a combination of these two types of intervention, cognitive and behavior therapy. And it's commonly used to reduce pain and improve catastrophizing in adolescents with persistent pain, for example. The mode of delivery is face-to-face or remote. It, it doesn't seem to have big difference on the mode of the delivery, but the influence is, is the, the type of the intervention, really. 
you kind of like put it all together, right? So you have to do physical, you have to do a little bit of psychological. While you're doing that, you're doing communication. You have to do that in an interdisciplinary way with their family, which is super mm-hmm. important. Do you have any key takeaways for specifically like the family-centered approaches? I know you touched on, right? Like make it so they can understand what's going on in their bodies, but any other key takeaways for like the family-centered approach? Yeah, I think that the interdisciplinary approach is the gold standard for persistent pain in this population. So having the children or the adolescents, but also the parents together with the discussion to understand the whole condition, but also to understand the aim of the intervention would be the key for the treatment. So everyone needs to understand what what's going on and what's the plan for the treatment and the expectations of goals, you know, that the pain can actually not be improved 100%, but you can improve function of the children. So you you need to look after these kind of symptoms and, and regulate the, the expectations to everyone be aware of the of the plan and of the treatment. I think this is the key. Gia, what did you find as far as pharmacological interventions go? Yeah, pharmacological interventions are commonly used in practice, but the current evidence suggests that it should not be delivered as standalone as a standalone intervention. You know, there's no high quality evidence for the use of any pharmacological intervention in this population. We know that some pharmacos can reduce pain intensity, like anticonvulsants, like pregabalin, but we also know that paracetamol is one of the most used medications of musculoskeletal pain in children and adolescents. However, there are very limited data for its effects on pain relief. The, The key message, I think, is so if you need to use, use as a combination of other interventions as well. That seems like an important thing to maybe like as part of your education, right? If somebody says, well, we have this medication, we don't need to be in physical therapy. That could be part of, you know, how you educate the family and, and how important that is then. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We know that there are some side effects of the of some pharmacological interventions that we need to be aware of it. And so I'm looping back uh, to a little bit earlier in the episode here, but when we were talking about physical interventions, uh, I wanted to to touch back on what were the recommendations as far as the the duration goes and the actual dosing of physical interventions? There's no rule for it, but the information regarding dose and duration is is a bit conflicting. And the tested intervention delivered uh, one to two times per week with sessions durations between 20 to 45 minutes and for eight to 12 weeks. So we don't have that many studies, but the studies that tested the interventions, they, they use this kind of dose. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that rehab professionals take away from this paper on pediatric patients with low back pain? Yeah, I think one one more thing that I that, that I would like to say about this study is that we found some evidence to support the communication. So communication is also very, very important in this in, in the treatment of this population. And it's not actually an intervention, but a skill. Communication is the key to treat this, this population. So communication be, between health professionals, children, and parents would be the key part of this alliance, you know, so and and also to warranty the, the intervention and adherence. All right. Well, GA, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I think there's just some awesome takeaways that clinicians can use in the clinic. Thank you so much for taking the time, sharing your knowledge. 
Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Dr. Chia Yamato, thank you once again for coming on the show and sharing all of your knowledge and your expertise. And to all of our listeners, as always, thank you for listening to JOSPT Insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.